Hey, what's up, you guys? This is April with the Forager Horror Podcast. Welcome back. This week, we're going to be talking about a superstitious place. Well, at least that's what the name indicates. This is, well, not exactly home to me. I'm a little bit west, northwest of this locale, but it is known in the Valley of the Sun. So it's the Superstition Mountains. So the entire Valley of the Sun has a long history that predates American history. And indeed, the naming of Phoenix is credited to one of the area's first homesteaders who described it as a city born from the ruins of a former civilization. And the Superstition Mountains also have their folklore and history for both the homesteaders and the Native American tribes that populated the area. The Superstition Mountains is a range of mountains in Arizona located to the east of Phoenix metropolitan area. It's a large mountain range that is a popular recreation destination for residents of Phoenix, Arizona, surrounding areas. And part of it is because of the promise of $200 million that really drives people to look for the treasure within Superstition Mountains. So Arizona Superstition Mountains have long been the source of stories and tales about lost gold. Stories of mystery, greed, and sometimes death. So the Dutchman's Lost Mine, the Jesuit treasure, Peralta Mines, and many other tales continue to attract men and women from far and near to the rugged mountain range east of Apache Junction. But the real stories are not about gold, but about the people who search for the lost gold. The giant monolith, Superstition Mountain, rises some 3,000 feet above the surrounding desert floor and dominates the eastern fringe of the Salt River Valley. The mountain is part of the Superstition Wilderness Area, which contains some... 160,000 acres or 242 square miles of the Tonto National Forest. The region includes a wide range of fauna and flora indigenous to the Sonoran Desert. Uh, Fauna ranges from giant saguaro cactus to the ponderosa pine and then mule deer, javelinas, pumas, bobcats, coyotes, and a variety of rodents, birds, reptiles, and amphibians live in the desert ecosystem. The diversity of living things in this region often astonishes the visitor. Old timers will tell you everything that survives in this hostile desert either sticks, stings, bites, or eats meat. So very dangerous, the the area in which I live in. Kind of. I mean, I'm in heavily populated area with tons of homes, but I mean, two miles north is a huge mountain range. Well, not huge compared to like Superstition Mountains, but we got Thunderbird Mountain, which is quite expansive for it being really on the cusp of Phoenix. But anyway, this is an age-old description of a land where life is totally dependent on the availability of water, which is not. (laughs) Water is more precious than gold when temperatures exceed 119 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer months and can also drop well below freezing during the winter months. That surprises a lot of people. Yes, we have our horrible 120 degree summers, but... We can get kind of cold. Arizona, I mean, Phoenix specifically, has gotten snow before, which I'm sure surprises people. Um, You know, snow is not uncommon in the high desert mountains during the winter. 
Um, this mountain of towering spires and deep canyons was formed by volcanic upheaval some 17 to 29 million years ago during the tertiary period of geologic time. Superstition Mountain formed during a tectonic maelstrom, I hope I said that right, that resulted in a massive caldera almost seven miles in diameter. After the lava cooled, magma pushed the center of the caldera upward, forming a mass of igneous rock. This mass was slowly eroded for millions of years by running water and wind forming the mountain we see today. Superstition Mountain in the past was 1,000 feet higher than it is today. Between uplift, subsidence, resurgence, and erosion, they've all played a role in shaping the mountain. Superstition Mountain was born of fire, quite literally, and is now a range of sheer drop-offs, deep canyons, wild swings in temperature, and unfriendly wildlife. So let's kind of get the history going with how Superstition Mountain was named, the legends associated with, and so on. So the Pima Indians were part of naming the mountains, but it's weird because Pima County is in Tucson. The whole layout is really kind of weird. Apache County is further east in Arizona near Apache Junction, which is right there at the cusp of Superstition Mountains. Fort Apache Reservation, ironically, isn't even in Apache County. The reservation is west of it, so it's all kind of jumbled, which is interesting. So in the early 1800s, the area was in the middle of Apache land and the Apache believed that this area was inhabited by dangerous spirits and didn't live or hunt anywhere near it. As these things go, copper was discovered nearby and that area was taken from the Apache. It goes back and forth constantly between saying it was copper and gold, so it'll differ a little bit. If you know anything about the Apache, this was a bit of a bloody process. Despite the famous ferocity and war skill of the Apache, the land was opened for mining. Like most newly mineable land at the time, prospectors rushed in, laid claims in the valley below the area, and playfully named it the Superstition Mountains. This is also one thing that constantly changes. It's conflicting, going back and forth. Regardless, the Forest Service has said that it's some of the most rugged terrain within the United States wilderness system. Of course, those kinds of stories only heighten the mystery and intrigue that are associated with this range of mountains. Long before the story of the Last Dutchman was formed, an ancient Pima legend told the tales of people being turned to stone formations in what is now known as the Superstition Mountains. During the 1840s, the Peralta family of northern Mexico supposedly developed rich gold mines and the superstitions. Their last expedition to carry, now it's gold, you know, before it said copper, but now it's gold. But to carry gold back to Mexico occurred in 1848. According to legend, the large party was ambushed by Apaches and all were killed except for one or two Peralta family members who escaped into Mexico. This area is known today as the Massacre Grounds. A number of other people 
were supposed to have known the mine's location or even to have worked it. Numerous maps were surfaced over the years, only to become lost or misplaced when interested parties pressed for facts. Men who claimed to have found the pearl to mine were unable to return to it or some disaster occurred before they could file a claim, all adding to the lore of a lost mine. About 30 years after that, in the 1870s, Jacob Waltz, the Dutchman, he was actually a native of Germany, was said to have located the mine through the aid of a Peralta descendant. A bit late to the game, Jacob Waltz couldn't find a spot to start mining. One day, despite warnings, he wandered into the mountain and he had a huge vein of gold. Every day, he would sneak in the mountain and return with bags of gold. He quickly became the richest man in the area. Waltz and his partner, Jacob Weiser, worked the mine and allegedly hid one or more caches of gold in the superstitions. People would follow him to the mine every day, but he was always able to lose them. The mountains are steep and rocky, so that's not very surprising. Many of those who followed him were never seen again. Most stories place the gold in the vicinity of Weaver's Needle, a well-known landmark. Weiser was killed by Apaches, or according to some, by Waltz himself. In his failing health, Jacob Waltz moved to Phoenix and died some 20 years later in 1891. He supposedly described the mine's location to Julia Thomas, a neighbor who took care of him prior to his death. Neither she nor dozens of other seekers in the years that followed were able to find the lost Dutchman's mine. Subsequent searchers have sometimes met with foul play or even death, contributing to the superstition and legend that surrounded these mountains. There were another telling of this story that says that one day, while trying to evade someone following him, Jacob um, Waltz, that is not wiser, slipped and fell to his death, and the location of his mind died with him. So it's conflicting in that regard as well. There's a lot of conflicting information surrounding the Superstition Mountains, probably heightening the, you know, curiosity of the Superstition Mountains because there's so many different origin stories to the naming of it, what was found there, and now how the Lost Dutchman died. So it's conflicting in that regards, and it does all go back and forth. So to this day, no one knows the location of the mine or if it is even real. Hundreds of people hike into the mountain, sure that they'll find millions. To this day, it's never been found. It was dubbed the Lost Dutchman's Mine and many versions of the story exist. And I'm going to be honest. At first, I thought the Lost Dutchman was the same person as the Flying Dutchman from Sunfop, so I was very confused. <laughs> That was going through my head the whole time I was researching this at first. I'm like, um, I didn't know that this is how the Flying Dutchman got its story, but how did he end up in the ocean? But yeah, that, that was just a little fun tidbit. So some think that the Apache spirits used the mine as a trap for greedy prospectors to punish those who stole their land. Unwise people die all the time on Phoenix trails. Yes. You will die if you try to hike with one bottle of water in August. It happens every summer. The mystery with the Superstition Mountains is that bodies are never found. This area is in town and has cell reception so tourists can stay on the main trail and easily to be found by park rangers, but locals who go looking for the lost treasure, they just simply disappear. 
Some think that there was never a mine at all. They say Jacob made a deal with the spirits and they rewarded him with wealth for a blood sacrifice of the prospectors who stole their land. So even before that, a few centuries before that, the region was inhabited by Apache Indians and they considered Superstition Mountain the highest peak in the area to be sacred ground and home to their thunder god. When the Spanish conquistadors arrived in the late 16th century, they too were searching for gold, the famous seven cities of gold. Upon learning that the area did in fact contain gold, the Spaniards were intent on exploring the area in utter disregard for the Apache's beliefs. The Apache claimed that the Thunder God would take revenge upon the Spaniards for trespassing on holy land, but they were determined to explore. At that point, Spanish explorers began to disappear. The conquistadors urged the men to stay together, but more men continued to disappear, only to be found dead later. Conquistadors finally fled the mountain and dubbed it Monte Superstition. There seems to be a few different versions of when and how it was named Superstition Mountains, aside from the Spaniards. It was also given other names. According to officials, the mountain was called the Crooked Top Mountain, Thunder Mountain, and Mountain of Foam are a few examples. But it was the local farmers in the late 1860s, allegedly, who tabbed this mountain with its final namesake, inspired by Pima Indian legends. Yet another different origin story. Through the Pima Indians, the farmers of the Salt River Valley, who grew and cut hay for the U.S. Army at Fort McDowell in the late 1860s, had heard stories about strange sounds, people who disappeared, mysterious deaths, and an overall fear of the mountain. This influenced the farmers to believe that Pimas were superstitious about this particular mountain and thus the name Superstition Mountain was born. The area is dotted with ancient cliff dwellings and caves, many showing signs of former habitation. It's not certain who these people were. Some believe they were Salado or Hohokam Native Americans who populated this part of Arizona several centuries ago. Later, Pima and Apache, some of whom may have even been Yavapais, uh, occupied parts of the region. However, the name Apache came to be closely associated with the superstitions, and the mountains became an Apache stronghold in the 1800s. But what is indisputable is that superstition mountains have been a source of mystery and legend since early times. There do seem to be more disappearances here than other mountains. On average, four to five hikers die each year. In addition to the severely rugged nature of the terrain consisting of the drop-offs canyons, hikers also encounter extreme changes in the temperature, the harsh winds, and the dangerous wildlife. But explorers trek on regardless. No matter what they are told, people still go in unprepared. There are several examples of individuals who went missing, some of which were never found. A few years ago, there were three guys from Utah that went missing. They weren't found for months until one day, another hiker happened to discover the skeletal remains of the three men, still fully clothed, shoes and all, just clothes and bones. What kind of sparked a lot of this was the death of Adolf Ruth. Much of what we've discussed here is pretty deep into legend territory, even though there really was a Jacob Waltz 
whose grave you can really visit. But the event that really spurred interest in the Last Dutchman's mind was the real-life disappearance and death of treasure hunter Adolf Ruth. Ruth was a 66-year-old veterinarian employed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Bureau of Animal Husbandry, who had a long-standing obsession for locating the fabled Lost Dutchman's Mine. When he acquired a number of maps to old mines, Ruth became something of an amateur treasure hunter, and in an attempt to find a mine in California, had fallen down a ravine permanently injuring one of his legs. By 1931, Ruth became convinced that one of the cruelly drawn maps in his possession would lead him to the Dutchman's mine, but his luck wasn't any better than it had been in California. Within days, Ruth had disappeared without a trace. It wasn't until later that campers discovered a note in a bottle written by Ruth saying that he had, again, broken his leg and needed help. But perhaps the most interesting was the note's casual postscript. P.S. Have found the lost Dutchman. When Ruth's body was found in December 1932, the mystery really only deepened. His death does get weirder. Although Ruth's note concerning his broken leg and needing for help led searchers to believe that he must have starved to death awaiting for rescue, new theories popped up after the discovery of his skull with a hole in it that according to the coroner's report was created by an army style 44 caliber revolver the most common suggestion of course was that ruth was killed for his maps by someone else familiar with the legend of the dutchman's mine though official suggested suicide was more likely but allegedly that on his own search for the mine he had barely escaped the fire of a sniper he called mr x who he believed was protecting the mine. This suggests that Ruth may have also gotten too close and fallen prey to the mysterious sniper who apparently uses a revolver instead of, say, a rifle. A month after the discovery of Ruth's skull, the rest of his remains were found almost a mile away, confirmed by the presence of the steel plate in his leg from his previous treasure hunt. Mess up. Among the relics of his body were a checkbook in which he had been writing daily notes of his adventures. In this book was a description that modern Dutch hunters believe proves he found the mine, which was punctuated with Julius Caesar's classic Don Kong King Furnaces uh, Veni Vidi Vici, I came, I saw, I conquered. But Ruth's isn't the only disappearance. Uh, Ruth's disappearance and mysterious death did not dissuade others from following in his footsteps, and in fact, the headlines brought on by his story only inspired thousands of imitators. A prospector by the name of James A. Cravey thought he could bear the odds of finding the mine by using a helicopter in 1947. His headless body was found months later, tied up in a blanket with a skull 30 feet away coroner reported no evidence of foul play. The Phoenix New Times relays the story of Jesse Capen, a 35-year-old Denver resident who disappeared searching for the mine in 2009. Reports on the body of three men found in 2011 who had been lost in 2010 while seeking the mine 
one of whom had been lost and rescued the year before in the same search. It obviously didn't dissuade him. There are a great number of tragedies linked to the superstition wilderness, and there are lists of large number of disappearances and deaths in that area surrounding the mountain and the mine over the last century, though some of those may be as legendary as the mine itself, because a shocking number of people involved headless bodies and mysterious gunshots. Of course, those kinds of stories only heighten the mystery and intrigue that are associated with this range of mountains. There are even talks of it being a gate to hell, which is very interesting. Whether you feel that these hikers are adventurous, gullible, reckless, or superstitious, the fact remains that there are a great number of tragedies linked to the mountain and its wilderness. It should be revered and respected. And if you are determined to defy the danger and explore and treasure hunt, make sure to do your homework. Go in there with a map, not just some shoddy thing you found. Make sure you have plenty of water. Make sure you can protect yourself from the wilderness because a pack of coyotes will try to kill you. So that is our description, our episode rather description. Why the hell did I say that? Anyway, that's our episode on Superstition Mountains. I think it's pretty interesting just because it's so, I guess it's convoluted because there's just so much conflicting information about how it started, the Lost Dutchman's Mine, about the freaking name of it. Like, god damn, can anyone get their story straight? But it's a, a bit of a cautionary tale, but a really interesting one too, because what is going on out there? You know, I've never been there. I just live, I don't know, 40 miles away from it. I think I've driven by it when I went to the Renaissance Festival once. But anyway, <laughs> off track. Anyway, guys, that's going to be this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed and I hope to see you next week. Bye.